You're listening to the EFC Podcast. Danielle Strickland is an author, a speaker, a trainer, and a global social justice advocate. Her latest book, Better Together, How Women and Men Can Heal the Divide and Work Together to Transform the Future, offers a way forward for what we might consider to be the most ancient of fractured relationships. I'm Karen Stiller, and I had a great conversation with this gifted leader about preaching and how she's helping other women step up to be speakers, the power of our stories, and Danielle's hopes for her new book. Enjoy, and check out the show notes for a link to that Urbana preaching that I mentioned in the interview. Danielle, your latest book, Better Together, How Women and Men Can Heal the Divide and Work Together to Transform the Future, says this about you in the bio, among lots of other great things, but these are the two things that jumped out at me. It mentions your aggressive compassion and that you are an ambassador of fun. And I have to say, I loved both of those um, descriptions. And I would wanted to ask you to tell us about those two parts of your work and identity, your aggressive compassion, and the fact that you're an ambassador of fun. Yeah, you know, what's really, really fun about that description is that my husband wrote it. Oh, that's (laughs) neat. Yeah. And so I thought that was fascinating that he chose some of those words, you know, I, Aggressive compassion, of course, uh, spent years and years with the Salvation Army and um, aggressive Christianity is an early book uh, of the sermons of Catherine Booth. So you might you might not know that, but it's a a fiery set of her sermons and um, where she talks about sort of this aggressive Christianity, not this passive anemic uh, sort of like we grew up believing, but this like we're going to take it and we're going to go with this. We're going to really live it out. And I think the same thing applies for me when I think about love um, and compassion, being moved by love. It's it's not, you know, it's not this sentimental, anemic feeling. It requires some action. It requires some intention. So that's those words together. That that is supposed to mean. I think in my heart and life, and what I hope I live. Ambassador of Fun. I'm a seven on the Enneagram. Okay, and I'm actually right down the line. I'm I'm half seven and half eight. Uh, believe it or not, so I can get things done, but I really want to have fun doing them. And um, so that's just my natural inclination is just to have a good time and to and to enjoy life and be filled with joy. So my youngest son just the other day he said to my husband, my husband said to him, "What are you going to do? You know, when you in a couple hours or whatever." And my youngest son's name is Moses. And he said, Oh, just wait till mom gets home. We're going to party. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. So I just think I'm built towards having some fun and, and, uh, Hey, yeah, no, not? that's, that's really, that's beautiful. I, and I love that your husband wrote those, um, words that that's pretty special. So I heard you at Urbana 2018 and you can preach. I mean, holy, <laughs> you are an amazing preacher. So, and I will say that uh, I double checked this, the video of you preaching at Urbana is online, so people can go check that out. I'd like to know uh, what it's like for you to preach, if I can ask that kind of odd question, because to me, um, being there in person, and I was in the first few rows you seem to be really enjoying it. And so maybe that's part of the ambassador of fun part, but I'd, I'd just love to know how you feel when you preach and, and also what the role of preaching is today in the church, according to you. Yeah. Wow. Those are good questions. 
Uh, easy first one. I love preaching. Um, it's it's not hard for me. I think the only hard thing about it is to really, you know, just to really hold the burden to be obedient to what God wants said, you know, rather than just what I want to do. So that's the struggle is just to make sure that I'm really tuning in uh, to the spirit of God in the moment. But I actually love it. It's uh, one of my favorite things to do. It's it's not difficult to me. It's, you know, it's not taxing. Apart from schedule realities, it's taxing. But the actual act of preaching, I, I, I really love. I actually, I think that's kind of sometimes the way you can discover a gift when you do something with ease uh, that looks maybe more difficult to other people. And you're like, oh, is it hard? You know, like I, <laughs> so I feel like that's just a great grace that God's given me for that specific thing. Um, I think uh, the role of preaching, this is interesting. I coach uh, women uh, aspiring speakers and and some who are already speaking. I do a coaching program for them. And so I've been paying a lot more attention to what has been intuitive for me in terms of the preaching and the speaking and then even the role that it plays. So it's been a great discipline for me lately, just the last year to <clears throat> really pay attention to what I'm doing exactly and how this is working and why this is resonating and and then also what this is. I've always said that I think preaching is one of the most overrated gifts in the body. Um, and I think it's because we are, you know, in a Western concept specifically, we are enamored by this, like, uh, what I would call Herculean pursuit. So we love stages. We love celebrity. We love this one. We love moments, you know, and I feel like preaching kind of fits all of those things. Um, in almost an unhealthy way, if I can be honest about it. Uh, and so I think for me, like much of my ministry was spent like in inner cities and small little communities. Uh, a lot of the church plants I did didn't have public gatherings. They were small groups that met in people's homes. I'm a big fan of like house church, like just how do we dial this out of uh, performance and into real life authenticity? Uh, and so the irony of that is that's what my day job was. And then my for fun life was speaking on stages, you know, so what I say to people is I don't deva I don't think it should be devalued in that all of us can remember sometimes where we were when we heard a word from a preacher, you know, that prophetically, uh, just like, uh, undid something in us or gave us revelation and helped us to choose differently with the rest of our lives. Like there are those moments and those moments happen all the time. And so for that reason, it's a wonderful gift, but for all those other reasons, uh, stages and celebrity and sort of this Herculean idea that some people are better than others or bigger than others, or, uh, and then even just in those little tiny snapshots that you get of a preacher who's really basically telling you the highlight reel, uh, of their own experience and revelation, sometimes we have this like misconstrued idea that that's actually how people live all the time. And of course, that's not. So I think it also has this really potential dangerous side. So what I suggest is that we just hold it in its right place uh, to right size it. It is a gift among many gifts that the body has. I don't think it's more important than serving. I don't think it's more important than mercy. I don't think it's more important than any of the other gifts uh, that God has given the body. Uh, and I think if we can hold it open-handed like that, it can serve the body. Mm. One, th one thing I think I've learned over the years being married to a, a preacher, because my husband is uh, a minister, is that what 
what I consider a great sermon um, may actually not, you know, sort of work for everybody. And sometimes when I think, well, I don't have much to say to him about a sermon on that day, for example, and then he'll hear back, you know, that for, for someone else, they were deeply moved and, and so challenged, and it was just what they needed to hear. Um, and I didn't think it was like his best ever. And so I guess that's part of preaching too. It's not the same. We don't hear them all the same way either, do we? Well, and you're doing a dance. You're 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 dancing with the spirit of God, you know. So, you know, what some of it is you and some of it is God. And ultimately it's this beautiful jangled mess of that both coming out. And the spirit, of course, we know the word of God, the spirit of God just does whatever the spirit wants to do in our weakness and our brokenness and our strengths. And that's ultimately, you know, that's every every Christian's great goal, isn't it? It's just that the spirit would use us as we are uh, in, in our best moments and our worst moments. And I think every preach, you know, uh, I think most preachers would say the one I thought was terrible had the best effect. And, and the one that was great felt good and maybe also had a good effect, but maybe not quite as powerful. Uh, and just so it's just wherever we can allow the Holy Spirit to just partner and where we can partner with the Holy Spirit, we, we've got a good thing going on. Tell us about the Women's Speakers Collective uh, that you've started. You mentioned it a couple minutes ago. I would love for people to know just exactly what that is and what happens and also why you started it. Yeah, so a couple things. One, I was a little tired of being the exception to the rule at main uh, conferences for both women and men or leadership conferences. I felt like I was often, uh, if not the only, one of the only female voices represented and so I asked, you know, the conference organizers and church leaders and just said, like, where are the other women? Um, and, you know, there was a whole bunch of answers. Uh, we don't know. We can't find them. Could you help us to we ask them and they won't come? Um, you know, just this range. And I realized there was a disconnect between really great uh, female communicators and main kind of stages and platforms. And so I wondered if, you know, I tried a few strategies. I tried guilt. I tried shame. I tried, you know, <laughs> uh, and I, I felt like God finally said to me, Danielle, maybe you could just try helping. Um, so the Women's Speaker Collective really was a, a desire to help the situation, to change the equity of platforms, uh, particularly in Christian uh, conferences uh, around the world. And so what we did was we set out to do an intentional training. So we do two-day boot camps, we call them, really interactive debris filled, like where I give everything I know about speaking and communication in two days. And everybody brings their best five minute talk and they get a, a live debrief and we film it, we get headshots done. We realized that there were some basic like uh, things that were missing for women that a lot of men already had uh, done. And that were things like a professional headshot and, a, and, and some video footage and some opportunities and platforms to speak. So we just systematically training collective you're not in this alone it's very cathartic for a bunch of women to get together and realize they all feel called to speak and that they're not alone uh there's a great company of women uh in this uh, area that can support them so that itself has been a really beautiful thing and then i think just some real intentional training and then just checking off some of those basic boxes so that people know you're available you're offering to serve with that capacity and then we're looking for we've created a profile so we have a Canadian profile, we have a American profile, we're working on a UK profile of female voices that we endorse and sort of say, these are up and coming, beautiful voices of truth for your conference. And we make them available to conferences all, uh, all across everywhere. 
Well, and have you seen some uptake with that? Have, have women been invited to speak based on that? Yeah, we have seen some uptake. It takes a little while, I think, for uh, the system to work. And then we really need to work on um, actual agency, like getting somebody that's a little bit more aggressive in that space. Right now, it's a little passive, like here they are. And then, of course, everything I turn down, uh, they'll get a link to that site to say, here's 10 other speakers that I recommend in my place that are fantastic. Um, so we're you're just working on strategies to get people's um, names and voices out there. So without asking you to give away all your speaking secrets, I would love if you could share a couple of um, maybe the top things that you teach the women who are, who come, or if you want to look at it the other way, a couple of the things that typically um, people need to work on when they're just starting out in in a speaking ministry. Yeah, well, we always start, I always start with authenticity. So I, th I think real power, this is a fascinating thing. If you, um, if you have a look at communicators that you know, that are just fantastic communicators, you'll know that all of them are speaking from their own voice. They've found who they are, and they're speaking from that place. They're not pretending, they're not trying to be somebody else. So authenticity has its own power. Of course, in the scripture, it's the truth will set you free, you know, so this, this idea of owning your voice and finding your voice. So that's a big thing, especially with people like women who've been told they're, they're not supposed to be something and they're supposed to be something else and all kinds of things like that. So we work on the first uh, half of the boot camp is about authenticity, finding your voice and communicating from that place. I call that uh, true humility, uh, which is agreeing with God about who you are. When you can get there, any leader can get there, no matter what you're doing. When you get there and you lead or you speak or you use your gift from that spot, uh, there's a lot that can happen uh, in that. And then you stop. You don't have to prove or please anybody. You can actually just start serving. Uh, so that's a big part. And then I would say communication, basically two uh, major parts of really effective communicators. One is content and the other is delivery. So we spend half the time talking about content and how to get rich in content and full in content. And mostly just the secret to that, I think, is living a curious life. Uh, and then also doing the work. Like there's just no shortcut to really good content. You just have to be curious and then pull on the thread and keep looking for uh, deep and deep and deeper and deeper ways of, uh, of getting to truth. And then I would say the other thing is just delivery tips. So that's just your basic you know, how you communicate, the way that you use your voice, timing, the pause, humor, how to tell a good story. You know, it's, it, it's a mixture of those two things. Wow. Let's talk about the role of stories. Um, I, I'm a teller of stories. And the older I get, and the more I do it, the more I think that stories are one of our most powerful tools, our own true stories. And you um, hinted at that and when you mentioned authenticity. Uh, tell me why stories work so well to connect us together. Yeah, you know, that's a fascinating uh, question. And I love, you know, why do they work? I think because they're true for us. You know, there's some, they're authentic. I think it's all those things that we, they're authentic. They have beautiful content because they're real. There's characters. You know, if you can really, I always tell the example of my mom, uh, for piano lessons, I would play a piece and I thought I had nailed it, you know, and my mother would say, no, it's, it's not there yet. And I would say, what do you mean? Like I got every note, right. And she would say, yeah, but when I closed my eyes, I couldn't see it. And I think the teller of a, a good story or a good story has these elements where you get to invited into a place with somebody. So it's a lot less uh, speaking at you and a lot more speaking with you. 
Um, and stories do that. They flip that, don't they? Where you're now you're inviting the audience into something that's happening and you're experiencing it together versus some truth that you've discovered that you're telling them about. So I think it flips. It's invitational. Stories are invitational. Stories are universal. We all share at the very heart of a human experience. We share grief. We share joy. We share happiness. We share humor. We share surprise. You know, so stories that have all those elements, they tap into our universal human connection, which I think is also very beautiful. So no matter what the room, you know, room can have a kid in it and the room can have a grandma uh, in it. And all of them can tap into those same desires, human longings of the heart that are happening in storytelling. Uh, Also, they're just great fun, aren't they? (laughs) Yeah, they they are. And your book, uh, Better Together, uh, it really is a call for women and men to work better together uh, for the sake of the church and the world. Why haven't we figured this out yet, Danielle? It's been a while. <laughs> yeah. yeah, spoken with a bit of weary <laughs> sigh. <laughs> we laugh so we don't cry. Um, okay, here's the deal. Like, I, I think we're in a moment. Uh, it's a t- I would call it the tipping point uh, where social media made a way for women's voices to be heard in such a way that they couldn't be clawed back into a sort of bureaucracy or, or patriarchy. So I feel like the cat's out of the bag. And... Um, and then we're kind of in this moment, everybody's a little paralyzed because we're not really sure what to do next. So uh, Better Together is intentionally designed, I hope, to be a mobilizer so that we don't just let fear dictate our next move. And we're not paralyzed with indecision and we're like, you know, just stuck in this kind of politically correct mode where we, we don't do anything at all for fear of doing the wrong thing. And uh, so that's really, that's who I had in mind is what do we do now? Okay. So I feel like, you know, sexual harassment, the treatment of women for generations, patriarchy, that's really put a male lens on the church and leadership structures. I feel like, you know, we're at a place now where that can no longer be normal. It might still stick around for a little bit out of tradition or whatever, but it's, we're at a tipping point now. We know that we're headed somewhere else. And so now the question for me becomes, how do we get there? Uh, and that that really is what this book is after, is why it matters so much that we get there. We're talking like losing a whole generation. We're talking about liberating half the church. We need all hands on deck in this time of history. Let's get there. And then just um, real pragmatic and practical ways of changing the culture of a male-dominated space to an, a, a more equitable one. I think this is so hard to do. And to tell you the truth, Karen, like this has been a, the hardest book I've ever written uh, it was a tough moment uh, standing on the Willow Creek stage just after, you know, weeks after Hybels uh, was in the midst of the scandal. So that's really where the, the the genesis of this book began for me. It was the title of my talk at that GLS uh, leadership uh, conference. And uh, for me, I just really felt a God invitation, you know, never waste a crisis, somebody once said. This God invitation that in the chaos of this moment, there is the Holy Spirit hovering saying, hey, if you'll work with me. I've got a creation to do here, a beautiful creation. And I really believe that the the, the repairing of the, the uh, relationship between women and men is at the heart of the fall. Um, the first thing to break after our relationship with God was the relationship between each other. And that's where blame, that's where shame, that's where hierarchy, that's where patriarchy. I mean, all of those things entered into right at that space. So I think that that that's why I'm so hopeful about repairing this bridge because it gets us closer and closer and closer to the original design that God always had for, for the world. 
You know, I think what what you do so well in the book is you really push uh, readers to think about why they think things and um, to sort of challenge their own assumptions. Uh, You talk about power in a way that's very helpful um, and about using power well, if you happen to be an owner of power. Um, Can you speak to that for for a minute? Yeah, that's actually, that's one of my biggest takeaways, I think, myself in my research of this book was just a redefinition uh, and, and, and a relook at how I use power uh, and the power that I have and what I'm doing with it. So I feel like, you know, we have this, I feel like collectively we've agreed with Lord Acton's quote, this last generation that said all power is corrupting, you know, all power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And I think sort of this generation, the season in which we've been in will be like, yeah, you know, like powerful people are bad people. And then this actually uh, hurts us in many respects because our own privilege is is a form of power. And when we actually start acknowledging the privilege and the power that we do hold as white Western people, forget about even just men or women, but just like white Western top 3% of the richest people on the planet, you know, like we hold so much privilege and power. And, uh, and we feel guilty and ashamed about it because I think we believe that power is corrupting. And what I, I, I came across this, this idea that, you know, Jesus was all powerful. There's no more powerful person on the planet. He had literally all the power, but he was not corrupted by it. So what is it that Jesus was doing? And what is it about power that Jesus understood that kept him from being corrupted by power? And not only kept him from being corrupted, but made his power something that he actually used to empower other people. And so I kind of came up with three, what I think are three corrupting views of power. You're corrupted by power if you think it's yours. So this idea that you're a steward of something. So all power is a gift from God. You're corrupted by power if you think it's limited. You know, this is that scarcity idea of power that I take it and you can't have it because there's not enough for both of us to have power. Jesus understood that wasn't true. It was unlimited power, especially kingdom version of power is an unlimited source. So how would it change the way you think about power if you knew, first of all, it wasn't yours? And second of all, it was unlimited. You couldn't run out of this thing. And then I think the third corrupting view uh, of power is that it's about control. And Jesus, again, now helping us through his example to understand that it's about the uh, the empowering of other people or the unloosening, you know, literally undoing the works of the enemy. It's about freeing people. So if you switched your view from limited and controlling and yours, you might be able to actually use your power in a beautiful way and a power uh, that could then be a force of beautiful freedom and empowerment in the world. Yeah, that is, uh, that's a beautiful way for women to work together as well. Like I, I thought as you were speaking, I was thinking of your women speakers collective, like you are sharing what you know and, and giving power away in a, in a sense when you, uh, invite all those other women into that, into that world. So I wonder, um, if you could speak about how women work together. I, I noticed on your website, it's very prominent on, on one place that we, we do not compete with each other and you're referring to women working together there. Um, can you speak to that, how we can help each other better maybe? Yeah, and I think, you know, this is that scarcity model too. Like whenever you come from a place where you feel like you've been pushed out of privilege or power so that any marginalized community uh, or person that's been struggling 
they have this, you know, th- there's an invitation for us to buy into this idea that power is limited. So sometimes we'll see a generation of other people who have been successful, but then they're just like really guarding their success because they don't want to lose it. And again, this is a misconception of power. Um, one of my favorite uh, quotes is by Napoleon, you know, who I'm not going to nail this because I don't have it written down in front of me right now, but he basically says like, I pay people to fight for me and they do a pretty good job, but Jesus, he doesn't pay anybody and people will die for him at a moment's notice. Like, what does he have that I don't? And I would say what Jesus has that Napoleon doesn't is a proper view of power. And if we could get our heads around this and as women, you know, all the research says that you really should want women on your leadership teams because one of the natural inclinations of women is that they want everybody to win together. So if you put women, most women, in a competitive situation where one there's a winner and there's a bunch of losers, women actually tend to feel bad about winning at the expense of other people. What really resonates with women is to actually have everybody succeed together. And what a great, wouldn't that be great if that's your whole leadership team? If you had a whole leadership team that was filled with people who didn't want to just win by themselves, but wanted everybody to win together. So partly, I think it's, it's, in, it's partly how, what women bring to the table when it's uh, in, in terms of transformational leadership. And then also, I think it's this, uh, this great tool the enemy can use to push back against women by other women, by trying to compete with each other. Uh, instead of recognize that there's an unlimited, we, we're not in a scarcity, there's an unlimited amount of potential, there's an unlimited amount of resource, there's an unlimited amount of opportunity for people to just keep uh, communicating and speaking and getting better, whatever it is your sphere of leadership's in. Yeah. What are your hopes for this book, Danielle? You know, I, I hope I can help. I really, I hope it can serve churches that want to change I hope it can serve leaders that want leadership teams that have kind of been like, and I say in this book, you know, it's not so much that we believe the right things. It's that we actually implement some things to change so that what we're practicing is in line with what we believe. And that's what I'd really love. I'd love for it to bring equity to leadership boards. I'd love for it to enhance the culture. I'd love for it to equip the church. I'd love to it for it to mobilize people to actually be a beautiful reflection of God in the world. And where can we find you online? I know there's a few spots and the book. We, I, and uh, I'll just read the whole title again, Better Together, How Women and Men Can Heal the Divide and Work Together to Transform the Future. So tell us where best to find you and the book. Yeah, so daniellestrickland.com. Uh, you can find links to everything if something piqued your interest. Uh, all my stuff is on that site. Uh, you can find a link to the book there as well, or you could just Google Better Together, Danielle Strickland, and you'll get it wherever books are sold. Uh, there's also a video curriculum for for groups. So if you want to go through it with a leadership team or your whole church or things like that, that's uh, there to serve you for that purpose. Um, and I'm podcasting. Danielle uh, J. Strickland is my podcast. Um, if, uh, if, that's, if that interests you. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Danielle. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks, Karen. Love the conversation. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To listen to more and to subscribe to Faith Today, Canada's Christian magazine, please visit www.theefc.ca forward slash faith today.